Hi and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sonia Thomas. I'm Sarah Jordan. And I'm Gavin Cooper. So welcome to Season 5, Episode 3. We're joined again by Claire Roddy, who's one of the immunotherapy consultants at UCLH. She's previously joined us to discuss CAR T-cell therapies. So we discussed some of the challenges that oncology disorders have when it comes to immunotherapies. We also talked to Claire about how she supports the oncology teams in this new therapy with the experience they've gained through the haematological malignancies and treatments with CAR T-cells. Well, T-cells in general, you know, their function is to fight virus-infected tissues. And so how they do that is they recognise um, little components of the virus that's presented to them by the immune system. And so we refer to that interaction as signal one. Now, signal one alone is not enough to help the T-cell fight the virus off. It needs something else called signal two, which is like a sort of a turbo booster. And it basically tells that T-cell that this is a threat and that allows the T-cell to activate, to grow, to proliferate and, and to kill the infected tissue. And it's sort of this biology that's really been hijacked in our own work in CAR T-cells, for instance, where essentially what you do is you create a synthetic receptor on your T-cells. So a, it's basically like a new protein that that T-cell wouldn't usually make. And it amalgamates the signal one and signal two together so that you get this sort of super physiological, almost overzealous T-cell response to a target. And of course, you guys all know, and you know, we all have lots of experience with CD19, which is what we target for our B-cell cancers. So we've had a lot of success, obviously, in the B-cell field with this synthetic CAR protein, which amalgamates these two signals. But the problem we have with CAR T-cells is the fact that we're really heavily dependent on, on what the, the tumour is expressing on its surface. We sort of need for that to be consistently expressed across all of the tumour cells to have a successful therapy. So I think this is where our sort of, you know, the, the, the block comes, if you like, in taking CAR T cells and applying it to solid tumours. Because, of course, solid tumours, as we all know, are much more heterogeneous. So there's much more variety within the sort of cell populations that you see in a solid cancer. So CAR T-cell therapy has limited application at the current time in solid cancers. So it prompts us to think about other ways that we could harness the immune system to target solid cancers. And this has been going on for years and years. People have been looking at lots and lots of different ways. And there's a theory that, you know, within the cancer, the cancer is driven by mutations. And there's something that's the initiating, the cancer initiating mutation. And they sometimes refer to this as like a truncal mutation. It's like thinking of it like a tree. So you've got your sort of core mutation that's the initiating driver of the cancer. Now then within that, that's an unstable cell you've got now within that solid tumour. And it makes it much more likely to acquire further DNA damage. So you get subsequent subpopulations and subclonal populations and lots of other mutations arising. So a solid tumour is a very, very um, highly mutated entity. And it's actually within all of those mutations, that's what allows, or that's what we believe allows the immune system to start recognising it. Because of course our immune systems are really designed not to recognise self. I mean, that's what keeps us safe from autoimmunity and stops us from rejecting our own tissues. So what you really need is for the, the immune cells to recognise things that aren't expressed on your normal tissue. And that's where these neoantigens or these new cancer mutated proteins come into their room because they can be useful in the fight against solid tumours. So people like um, a lot of our oncology colleagues here at UCL and, and more further afield have been using checkpoint inhibitors and I'm sure everyone's aware of these. And essentially what these do, these rely on the premise that within our tumours, 
there are T cells in there that can see these neoantigens, that can see these mutated um, genes or proteins within the cells. And what the checkpoint inhibitors do is effectively take the brakes off the immune system and allow those T cells suddenly to become activated. Because remember that within the tumour, not just have you got all of these horribly mutated cells, but they're cleverly infiltrating immune cells within the tumour and turning them into um, immune suppressant um, cells. So they surround themselves by regulatory T cells whose job is to switch off immune responses. They get these um, innate cells called macrophages which are all very repellent to immune responses. So essentially the tumour is doing everything in its power to suppress an immune attack. And that's where checkpoint inhibitors come in is that they help to overcome some of these aspects of immune inhibition that are generated by the tumour. And it's sort of this kind of idea that um, stimulates the field to think, well, look, there must be T cells in that tumour that can recognise the tumour and attack it. So the very sort of beginning of the field of TIL therapy, and that's tumour infiltrating lymphocytes. So that's T cells that are taken from within the tumour. And imagine this, you excise a tumour, you essentially extract all the immune cells from it. And what you do then is grow them up in the laboratory to hugely high numbers, and then you reinfuse them to that patient. And you're assuming that within all of those T cells within that tumour, that some of them will recognise all those neoantigens or those mutated proteins that we talked about at the start. So that is a therapy that's been developed and it's probably been going on since the sort of, you know, late 1980s. And it's shown most efficacy in melanoma, so metastatic melanoma, which has been, you know, traditionally a very difficult thing to treat. But actually with, with this TIL therapy, these immune infiltrating lymphocytes with, from within the tumour, you can get overall response rates of 50%, which, you know, to, at that time was unprecedented for melanoma. And is that just to reduce or completely... Um, it can get rid, rid of, of, I mean, complete really? response rates maybe in about 20% of patients and then, you know, long-term remissions. Of course, it's not every patient, you know, so it's a subset of patients. And that's, you know, in the melanoma context, and that's where there is most experience. But of course, you know, people who are working in this field are looking at all those sorts of tumours that are responsive to checkpoint blockades. So thinking, you know, these are tumours that probably have a population of infiltrating tumour reactive lymphocytes within the tumour. And, you know, what about TIL therapy in those settings? So that's why, you know, there's trials at the moment, certainly here at UCLH, looking at non-small cell lung cancer, for instance, um, and there's a study that's being looked after by Martin Foster in oncology, looking at neoantigen reactive um, T cells for that indication. So is it the more difficult to treat type of tumours that are more suited to these types of therapies that don't react very well maybe to conventional chemotherapy? In the sense, you have to have what they describe as an immunogenic tumour. So there are some tumours that have a high mutational burden. So things like you know, melanoma, it's a genetically unstable type of tumour and it tends to produce a lot in the way of mutations within that tumour. So that, in a sense, generates new proteins that aren't, you know, within the rest of the body and as a consequence the immune system has more potential to see those other indications like renal cell carcinoma, non-small cell lung cancer. These are other cancers that are perceived to have a high mutational burden and therefore may benefit or may be susceptible to T-cell therapies. There are some tumours that are more or less uh, mutated, if you like, and probably lend themselves less well to these sorts of therapies. But I guess our position's always got to be, I mean, we're always trying to move away from, you know, these very toxic chemotherapies and uh, radiotherapy options. And, you know, if we could get something that perhaps is 
uh, maybe a little bit more natural or biological. You know, there's definitely there's a huge sort of incentive for us all to, to pursue those sorts of options. Are these therapies initiated earlier on in the treatment journey? So I, th- I think the thing is, it depends on the solid tumour. And again, I'm not an oncologist, so I don't want to sort of overstep my yeah. remit here. But, you know, again, this is very highly experimental therapy. And you couldn't argue that it should replace sort of first line or standard of care per se. Um, but if I sort of give you the example of the Chiron study, which I think we, you know, quite recently opened here. And the Chiron study is, I mean, it was the science was developed here at UCL by Carl Peggs and Sergio Casada. Charlie Swanton, Mark Lydell. And essentially the, the premise there is that if you take a, a solid tumour from a non-small cell lung cancer patient or a melanoma patient and you extract all of the immune cells from within that tumour, actually there's a lot of passenger cells, if you like, so not all of those are going to be reactive to the tumour antigens that you want. So they've developed a new technology whereby what you can do is you can sequence the tumour and you can actually categorize exactly what those mutations are. And once you know what those mutations are from within that tumor, you can then select out the immune cells from within the tumor that respond to those tumor-specific mutations. So instead of enriching everything, including all the suppressive T cells and all the other stuff that may not necessarily reject um, the tumor, um, what they have done very cleverly is to to develop a process where they can select out specifically the tumour reactive cells and often targeting these sort of truncal mutations that I said, hopefully, you know, the the cancer initiating um, mutations. And so they can basically grow those specifically out in the laboratory and and then reinfuse them to the patients. And that's what we've sort of had a couple of patients come through having that therapy at the moment. So that's a real sort of a game changer intellectually um, in terms of till therapy, because to now it's just been bulk till. So this, if, if this was effective, this would be, you know, like a massive coup in solid tumour um, oncology, I'd say. How much time does it add to the process? Because I guess we're used to CAR T cells kind of being like from apheresis to maybe infusion being kind of three to four weeks. Yeah. How long does this take from resectioning and getting a biopsy to... Yeah. Well, it's longer. I mean, it's definitely longer. And I think, you know, and that's where the design of the trial becomes really important. In the setting of this trial itself, the Chiron trial, effectively patients with non-resectable lung cancer can come on study straight away or patients with like metastatic disease, because I guess for this indication, the only potential curative option is is sort of complete resection. And that's only possible in a few cases. So if a patient has essentially like a locally advanced non-small cell lung or a metastatic disease, they can come at the outset, have their tumour excised, and then the trial process will proceed in the background. I mean, there's lots of different things that these patients can have, sort of standard therapies. Some of them will have targeted treatments because some of them have a sort of a, a specific mutation, something like the ALK gene or EGFR, which allows us to use targeted therapies. I mean, there's other chemotherapy-based regimens. And of course, you know, I mentioned already checkpoints. So checkpoint um, has a precedent as well in this indication. So these treatments can go on while the manufacture process is ongoing in the background. But one can anticipate that that could take somewhere between sort of two and maybe even three months to, to get to get a product for a patient, you know, because it's very early and exploratory work. So you don't want to disadvantage the patient, obviously, by not allowing them to have what effectively is standard of care. And then once you've got a, a product that you're happy, um, it meets the release criteria, then that's the point at which you start talking about scheduling your patient to come in. And that's obviously when we see them on the wards, because they come in under the in- inpatient haematology team. 
And do we offer like a shared care with the oncologist as well? Well, that's right. So the oncologists are obviously expert in managing the solid tumour side of things. And so they will select the appropriate patient and they will make sure that all of the other therapy is carrying on as an outpatient in the prelude to admission. But at the point at which they're due to come into hospital, of course, there's lots of the considerations that are shared with patients who have car therapy. So that's whenever we can, you know, really sort of help to um, improve the patient's journey. So um, these patients will come in and will have the standard conditioning treatment that we're all used to, fludarabine, cyclophosphamide, again, with the object of essentially clearing out the sort of cellular debris, if you like, to allow those incoming cells, give them the opportunity in the room to grow. What is different about the infusion is that the cell numbers are usually higher. So it's usually one bag of cells, but that's at least for the Chiron study. But it's, you know, more numerous than we'd be used to giving for, for CAR. You can give, you know, up to sort of 10 to the 9 um, cells, which is a lot. Um, and then in the aftermath of the cell infusion, again, remembering back to the biology, so the CAR is supercharged. So it has its signal 1 and signal 2 within its single construct but for a till it's a slightly different kettle of fish it needs to meet its neoantigen and then it needs signal two so what we try and do to overcome that and to try and give it a little bit more room to proliferate and grow is we support it with interleukin two so we give subcutaneous injections anywhere from sort of three hours after the infusion all the way up to sort of 12 hours after that infusion and what that it's like a growth factor like a sort of a stimulating factor for the the t-cells to expand so we're sort of compensating a little bit okay. for what the car has as part of its kind of transgene or as, as part of its you know it's 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 car construct we're trying to give the the tills a good reason to sort of expand in the patient and as long as there's no side effects from that interleukin 2 remember it's a growth factor for immune cells so of course the sorts of things we can imagine we see with sort of crs high temperatures hypotension tachycardia you know and problems with confusion etc i mean these are things that we see with interleukin 2 as well so the nurses on the ward need to be very aware of these side effects and you know to call into question administering second third fourth doses etc if any of those side effects are present but it does seem that that's important for the growth and expansion of the cells so we try to give it if we possibly can. I think I mean we look out for in these patients for things like cytokine release syndrome and ICANs we monitor them very closely but we don't anticipate that this should be as big of a problem um, as we see with CAR-T mainly because as I say they're very sort of different biological entities. Do we ever locally inject the therapy into tumour sites? to get a bigger response does that happen so we have not done that so these are given intravenously but I mean you do ask a good question because of course trafficking is a massive issue it's and one that's one of the big um, challenges we think for CAR t-cell therapy as well so you know how does the t-cell find its way yeah. to the tumor you know because t-cells naturally want to be in the lymph nodes in the bone marrow etc and it's a solid mass, with, as you've said, with yeah. lots of different cells. No, well, that's the thing. Yes, indeed. And sort of a lot of fibrosis as well. And as you say, very, you mean, the immune inhibitory tumour microenvironment is a difficult thing to overcome. I mean, there's certainly been work in the CAR T cell field. So one of our um, collaborators at Guy's and Thomas's, that's um, a guy called Professor Maher, John Maher. And he's looked at um, treating squamous cancers of head and neck with locally introduced CAR T cells. And he's had some, you know, stable disease. And he's, you know, he's had some patients whose sort of disease has stopped progressing. So, you know, it's sort of building on the um, experience, I guess. But it, it's not widely practiced administering it directly into the site. But I think, 
you know, from my own perspective, because we, you know, are very much more interest, interested in the sort of engineering side and it's trying to understand, you know, what the sort of the trafficking pathways are to get cells into tumours. So we know, for instance, in lymphomas that tracking along, um, there's a lot of sort of cytokines and chemokines that can pull T cells in. So we try to engineer those sorts of uh, receptors into our CAR T cells so that we can hopefully direct them into the tumour more effectively. And it'd be very nice if we thought that we could achieve something similar, you know, in solid tumour cars at, at some point. And, and I mean, I think the thing with TILs is that, of course, they are native cells, so they're not manipulated other than having been selected for being neoantigen reactive. It's not like a new gene has been introduced. They've not had, you know, their, their genome interfered with per se. Um, so, you know, introducing traffic and mole molecules into them to some extent takes them away from their more natural um, qualities. But yeah, it's a very interesting point. Do we think that they need more doses of the therapy than we would do, say, for our CAR patients that might have a single dose and have a massive response? Mm. Do we think then that we'd need to give more doses or it's difficult to know, I think, is the thing, because I suppose, you know, in contrast to the CAR, you hope that you're giving multiple different populations that are targeting lots of the different cells within the tumour. So, you know, there's not really the kind of the the evidence base, I suppose, to say that sort of multiple infusions are indicated. But, you know, it's a nice thought to think that you could... Um, you know, you could sort of look at the clonal tides, if you like. So within your tumour, you know, you recognise that sort of the majority of the tumour cells there, you know, are um, expressing a certain neoantigen. And then you, you know, you have your clonal neoantigen populations that you've made in the laboratory. You target it with that. And then subsequently, because of the selection pressure of targeting a single thing, of course, there'll be a couple of cells there that perhaps don't express that target. And in which case that gives them the advantage and they grow out. But if you have a separate sort of frozen population of, you know, tumour responsive T cells that recognise that, then you can see how sort of repeated administration might help to, to keep the cancer at bay. Yeah. And, are, and are there engineered tills? And what advantage does that bring? Yeah, so in the sense, not engineered tills per se, I mean, that's not um, in the clinic, but so engineered T cells that aren't CAR. So um, imagine that, you know, obviously, if you have a tumour that expresses a neoantigen or an antigen that you don't have a population of circulating T cells that, that recognise that particular antigen, then it's really not of any benefit for you to have till therapy perhaps you know because those tills aren't necessarily going to be able to recognize that but there are synthetic t-cell receptors um, that are generated in fact um, emma morris would be able to talk eloquently about this because she has run uh, studies looking at wt1 t-cell therapy for aml and mds so she had those studies uh, running um, in in previous years and of course there are some tcr t-cell um, studies open now at ucl although i haven't seen any patients come through yet for that therapy but effectively what you're doing is you're just gene engineering a new T-cell receptor into that, the circulating T-cells from that patient, a bit like you would do with a car. But again, you know, it's a slightly different kind of biological entity. So it's not that supercharged car. It doesn't have that signal too incorporated. So again, we'd expect to see a more gentle expansion. And it's limited by exactly the same things that limit CAR. You're relying on the fact that everything expresses the same target. You know, it's 
in a sense, it's a sort of like one shot wonder. And, and also it's, you know, hugely sort of complex in terms of the engineering side, because rather than just having a sort of like a single um, chain construct in your expressed on your membrane, what you have to do is to, to, to create what is a complex structure that's a T cell receptor. And it's prone to all sorts of mispairing and problems that mean that it doesn't necessarily bind target particularly effectively. So I think, I mean, there's a lot of work being done about that. And I think Emma's actually made quite a bit of headway in that, in in sort of making sure that the the constructs themselves are more faithful and align more faithfully. But again, it's it's a challenging field, uh, you know, and and as a CAR T-cell physician and uh, scientist, I am very relieved that that is my main job (laughs) because it is much less complex. (laughs) incredible though isn't yeah it? yeah it, it seems that what could be to come yeah no I think I mean you know if you ask sort of Martin Pule he'll say that solid tumors will be cured in 10 years I think he has this idea that yeah. we'll be able to sort of you know generate you know constructs that will be able to sort of you know treat cancers like you know chronic conditions it is difficult I mean in terms of solid tumors and cars at least we're you know we're in the early part of the pathway I mean we have a a glioblastoma car that we hope to have the study open in January of next year. So we'll hopefully be recruiting some patients in working together with Paul Mulholland. Um, But, you know, it's I think this is just to get our foot in the door and try and understand exactly what the limitations are going to be with glioblastoma. But certainly we've engineered as much as we can into the car construct to give it every opportunity to grow in the tumour. Um, and, and also we're hoping that the car can induce the local immune cells within the glioblastoma microenvironment to start rejecting tumour as well. So we've engineered in a few details that we hope will allow that. They call it epitope spreading, which is essentially where you know you trigger an immunological cascade amongst the endogenous T-cells, the normal T-cells within the tumour, to start rejecting the tumour. So we're hoping that that's the sort of thing that we see. But this, as I say, is our first foray in the adult setting into solid tumours so it's really a case of yeah opening the study and really keeping our fingers crossed. I'm just curious so interleukin 2 can help kind of trigger the the t-cells things like checkpoint inhibitors would they help potentially create an environment where like the tills would be able to work better or no I agree I mean and I think in the Chiron study you'll see so after they've done their initial safety assessments because remember first in man etc so they need to see what the tills can do on their own and then they're looking at doing an expansion cohort with the combination with pembrolizumab which is sort of anti-PD-1 so okay. you know it'd be interesting to see that it does it makes rational sense doesn't it to incorporate that um, and certainly in the lymphoma field I mean that's what we're doing as well so you know with even with CAR-T we know that you know we've got the sort of like limited efficacy of you know of, of all of the patients that we treat we anticipate that 40% with high-grade lymphoma will be disease-free at 12 months but you know what about that other 60 Mm percent so you know in order to try and address this we're you know incorporating checkpoint into conditioning regimens to try to protect the cells at that initial time point when they're infused so that they then have a greater expansion potential because we sort of you know it it seems that that early expansion of the car at least and within the first 28 days is very important to the outcomes. So I think checkpoint will be utilised in a lot of different indications and we'll certainly be looking at that for our glioblastoma car as well. But yeah, till therapy, it makes sense. TCR therapy, you know, I'm, I'm sure that'll probably be a downstream add-on as well. Yeah. 
this is a complete like going off on a tangent, but with with the CAR T cell patients, is yeah. it is it that immunoinhibitory thing that causes the lack of response, or is it mm. cells that then decide you know don't have CD19, or they already, or mm. maybe the population wasn't completely CD19 positive? Mm. What? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously it's a combination of those things, but yeah. which is the bigger issue really? Uh, well, I mean, I think like there are lots of factors at play and CD19 negative relapse is something we see and, you know, it can be a pre-existing cell or it can be a selection pressure. The car goes in, the um, DLBCL or the ALL recognises that, you know, it's going to have to overcome, um, you know, it's going to have to get rid of CD19 to survive. And so it can even within the machinery of the cell, it can cut the CD19 in such a way that the portion that's recognised by the car doesn't get expressed on the surface, a sort of so-called splice variant. You know, so yes, it could be a mutation pre-existing, you know, that the, the tumour can adapt. But CD19 negative relapse is probably our biggest problem in ALL. And you know, it accounts for probably about a third of relapses in DLBCL. Okay. So the other um, component, I mean, that's two, that leaves us with two thirds of patients, you know, for whom CD19 negative relapse isn't the reason for the progressive problem. So in that case, it probably does come down to either rejection of the car. So the car effectively, remember, it's a synthetic protein. So ultimately, your own immune system, when it reconstitutes after having had fludarabine or cyclophosphamide, it's possible that the T cells, your own T cells, will look at this and remember, well, how do we make a car? Usually it's derived from an antibody and most antibodies are generated in rats or mice. So of course, there's elements of the sequence there that are not human. So therefore, yeah. your own immune system is like, what is this in foreign invader attack? And so you can actually reject your car. So that's one thing. So lack of persistence allows your tumour to come back. And yes, the microenvironment is a problem, you know, um, CAR T cells in the tumour and just not being able to do their job. So, yeah, I mean, lots of things and, and T cell fitness. I mean, there's so many factors and it just is sometimes quite difficult to unravel. But yeah, so like, you know, the patients have had gazillions of previous lines of therapy and then you expect the T cells after all of this treatment to be able to expand in the patient. And that, that can be difficult as well. But we have lots of ways of trying to sort of interrogate that. I mean, that's part of our job in the manufacturing labs, trying to understand that. <laughs>